Today's reading is taken from Romans, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 16, and can be found on page 1129 of the Church Bibles. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience? not realising that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favouritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who, who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law. They are a law, a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, now, many of you will not know that we've been looking through uh, the book of Romans here at St Mary's over the last few weeks. And uh, Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul in about AD 57 to the church that had started up in Rome. One he had not visited yet, but he longed to. Rome was, at that time, the capital of an empire that stretched from Britannia in the northwest to Arabia in the southeast, from Mauritania in North Africa to Romania in Eastern Europe. An empire bigger than the European Union, probably better organised as well. Um, so before we look at the letter, let me pray for us, shall I? Dear Lord, I pray that um, as we look at this, that you will help us to understand you more, that you will help us to understand where we stand uh, with you. Amen. So the letter covers uh, uh, quite a number of things, but 
the bit that we have to look at today covers judgment, as you probably will have picked up. Uh, what it says is there will come a day uh, when all people will have to give an account of the things that they have done in their life. Now, perhaps like me, you, uh, you're not too keen on that idea. It doesn't sound that great. Something inside of you rebels against the very idea that somebody's going to pass judgment upon you and your life. However, at the same time, we also feel, don't we, that we would like to see, uh, in the final analysis, some justice done. That people will somehow have to give an account of the things that they have done. When we see, when we're forced to see through the television, through newspapers, what's happening in the world around us, when you see in Syria that um, aid convoys are bombed, hospitals are bombed, atrocities committed against innocent people by all sides, it would seem. I have in my head this picture of this little boy sat on a, uh, a seat somewhere in a hospital looking totally traumatised with blood streaming down his face. It's a picture that's not easy to forget. People are also making money out of the refugees who are fleeing these atrocities that are happening. Or maybe it's that bankers get huge bonuses when people die for the want of simple things like food and water. Maybe that's what gets you. But even if you were to stop watching television and reading newspapers, you would be troubled. Because it's often the daily unkindnesses that we witness in the office, in the schools, wherever it is we work. The injustice in the everyday events of our life. When somebody gets promoted and you know it should have been somebody else. When we see cruelty in any form, particularly to those we care for, we long for justice, we cry out for it. We are then something of a contradiction, aren't we? So as we approach the idea of judgment, um, you might say we look at it a bit like Woody Allen says he looks at death. I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Me, me, we might want to see some kind of judgment in the world. It's just that we don't want to be there when it happens. We don't want to actually face it ourselves. So what I want to try and do in the next few minutes is to point out how the judgment that this passage is talking about is not actually something that's alien to the way human beings think, albeit that it is somewhat uncomfortable. So three things the passage says that I want to point out to you. First of all, that judgment will be for everyone. Paul says there will be many who don't want to be subject to it, who don't think that they ought to be, think they ought to somehow be exempt. But it will include everyone. He says, verse 1, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. There were people then and there are still now who know all about the commandments and the teaching. They know all about what people should be doing. But instead of applying it to themselves, they simply use it to point out the faults in everyone else. They are judgmental, moralizers, behaving as if they are somehow exempt. A bit like that Harry Enfield character who goes around putting everyone right saying, you don't want to do that. I think it would be fair to say that 
those who know something of the Christian faith can easily fall into that trap. I guess that's Paul's point. We can conveniently forget that if there is a moral law, then it applies to us as much as it does anyone else. But then when you think about it, we all have this tendency to pass judgment on others. One writer said, it's a strange human foible, our tendency to be critical of everybody else except ourselves. Often we are as harsh as on others as we are lenient upon ourselves. We work ourselves up into this self-righteous indignation over the disgraceful behaviour of someone else, other people, while at the very same behaviour seems not nearly as serious when it's ours rather than theirs. I think this trait, this judgmental trait, is particularly noticeable when you're in a car. You don't have to be driving it, you can be sat in the back and it works just as well. I was driving around this roundabout in Exeter, never driven around the roundabout before, uh, this one, I'd never driven in Exeter, and, uh, and my wife who's in the car, we, we couldn't work out how you got off this roundabout to where we wanted to go. It seemed a roundabout that was specifically designed to confuse people. You know, I, I wonder whether there isn't somebody beavering away in a, some office somewhere working out how you could get to a road junction and so on to confuse everybody. But maybe that's being judgmental. Anyway, I'm driving around this roundabout and uh, needless to say I get in the wrong lane and uh, so this woman behind me slams on the horn so that everybody knows there's an idiot in front of her and I look in the rear view mirror and I can see that she's waving at me not, not using all of her fingers though <laughs> if you get my meaning then she pulls alongside me as we hit these traffic lights and winds down the windows and shouting out of the window I don't think she was saying have a nice day but I think how can she pass judgment on me? Has she never gotten the wrong lane in a roundabout or anywhere? Done anything wrong when she's driving? Indeed, does she know anything about me at all? Did she know, for example, that I will, the junction we were looking for was to the hospital to find out whether my wife, the lump that she had discovered, was cancerous or not? Did she know that? I guess she didn't. But then you might have just noticed that I've passed judgment upon her. Because I don't know what was in her life. I don't know what had happened that very morning to her. We should not pass judgment on others, says Paul, because one, we are not God. You don't know the whole picture. Secondly, because our hands are not clean. We have no right to judge. Because when we say to other people, you act uncaring, do we not then? When we say they're unkind and cruel, are we not? Ungrateful. We pass judgment on others, I guess, because it makes us feel better about ourselves. This is a quote. I liked it. See what you think. Criticism of others is an oblique form of self-commendation. We think we make the picture hang straight on our wall by telling our neighbours that all his pictures are crooked. When we do this judgment thing, what we do is to demonstrate that we know what's right We know what the law requires and the way we should behave and treat others because we use it to point out what their faults are. Therefore, we do not have any excuse then if we do not take that same law. You can hardly plead ignorance of the moral issues. In verse 
4, Paul says that each time you do that, you are storing up for yourself judgment. As some of you may know, I'm diabetic. And I had been thinking that actually I would stop telling people, in which case I just ruined that plan. Um, uh, but what happens, why I would not tell people, is that what happens is they put a great big slab of chocolate cake in front of you and say, oh, sorry, you can't have that, can you? No, thanks. Um, yeah, so there are a whole lot of things that I can't eat, and, uh, and people say, can you eat this? Can it's a good question. I suppose I could. I could eat the chocolate cake. I wouldn't fall down and writhe in agony on the floor. Uh, nothing much would seem to happen straight away, but it would catch up with me in the end. And uh, that's what Paul is saying. You can judge others, but it will catch up with you. But this does reveal something, I think, of human nature, don't you think? When we see sin rather more easily in other people than we do in ourselves, it's interesting. But what I think is most interesting is we see it. We do observe right and wrong. Why is that? Second point is that judgment will be righteous. I have this friend uh, who's um, somebody's through a county court has made a claim against him. Apparently you can do that through the county court. You can just uh, claim that this person owes you lots of money. This claim that's come through says that uh, my friend had sold cars and haven't paid this guy money. It's it's a bit garbled, but he's saying that that's what my friend does. And now my friend, within 14 days, has to make a defence. and um, uh, Which he's done, but now it seems that he's going to have to go to a small claims court to defend it. I, I on his behalf, I rung uh, the court to try and speak to somebody about it. To say, look, I think you've got the wrong man. My friend's 85 years old, he's got a heart condition, and he's never been out so well. Hardly been out of his house in 10 years. He's not been selling cars. But the court says, it's okay, it's okay, look, because when it gets to the small claims court, then they're going to sort it, you know, they'll, they'll put it right. But I'm thinking, will they? You know, we worry about human judgment, don't we? Will the judge be influenced, prejudiced? Will they have all the facts? Will they know what the truth is? Paul says, this judgment will be based on truth. God will give to each person according to what he has done. God's judgment will be righteous. He won't be influenced by what somebody else says about you. There won't be any hidden agenda. He will know the real truth. In verse 16 he says, the judge, he will judge men's secrets. He will know what people think they have hidden. There will be justice, just as you would want there to be. Thirdly, God's judgment is impartial. Verses 12 to 15 covers that, but it's a little confusing, so let me try and explain. One thing that bothers people, maybe it bothers you, it's certainly bothered me at times, is that there are different levels of knowledge here, aren't there? There are, or maybe people who do not know anything about the Ten Commandments, have never heard any of the teaching that Paul here is talking about, referring to as a law, so how can there be equal judgment if they don't know? Well, these verses try to address that, do address that. What he says is this. So we are aware that there are people who know nothing of the standard God has revealed, or at least not by reading it or being taught it. And the church in Rome would have known a lot of people like that. But he says, 
they will know it all the same. Somehow deep within themselves, they will know what is right because it is written in their heart. Now again, I think we know that that is true because we find many people who have little or no knowledge of the Christian faith, maybe don't even know what it says, but what they do, the way they act and behave would imply that they do know about it. They seem to adhere, to acknowledge the law as if they knew it. So, so when someone honours their parents, recognises that life is sacred, they're loyal to their spouse, practice honesty, speak the truth, cultivate contentment in their own life, then they have just agreed with the last ten, sorry, six of the Ten Commandments. I was having a discussion with a humanist the other day who, uh, who said that um, while she accepted the moral law, she didn't feel that she had to accept the Christian faith. And in truth, she doesn't. You can see the law without knowing the Christian faith. The problem, of course, is keeping it. That's the issue. So we are moral people, as the passage says, because we have been created to be that. But more than that, the way that is taught and lived out by Jesus matches what we instinctively know already. You do not have to force people to see that that is the right way to live. There is this common moral value. And of course that makes it possible to you for us to agree nationally and internationally on what just laws are. It makes it possible for Parliament to work, well, more or less, because they all agree on certain things. There is almost this unwritten law. Now countries and people um, don't always uh, go along with that. But I don't think it's because they don't know what the law is. It's just that they choose to ignore it. So nobody is going to be judged then by what they do not know, but they're going to be judged on what they do know. So, conclude. There will be judgment and there won't be any exceptions. Just because someone knows all the rules doesn't mean they're going to avoid them. It's not like Donald Trump who knows apparently he's very clever and can avoid taxes. It won't be the same at judgment. The judgment will be truthful, fair and open based on a moral law which we have known on what you know to be right. Not just based on that incidentally but there are plenty of people of course who know stuff who don't necessarily follow it. It's those who obey it. It's on what you do in response to what you know. But I guess if we are honest then the fact that um, judgment will be just, that there will be justice, is not altogether a comfort. Maybe not at all. Because we look at ourselves honestly, then how are we going to fare against a righteous, true justice? Groucho Marx could see that the value he had against how he behaved didn't quite match. In a great piece of self-examination he said, I refuse to join any club that would have me as a member. Very honest. What the moral law does then, what our conscience does, is not so much make us good as point out that we are not. Agatha Christie, in one of her books, I was thinking, 
that when my time comes, I should be sorry if the only plea I had to offer was that of justice, because it might mean that only justice would be meted out to me. It's not justice we need, so much as mercy. The passage we have read is all about judgment, and only at the very last verse does it give any hint of the good news. And maybe the reason that is that way is that telling people that Jesus Christ gave his life so that by believing you could be saved from judgment only makes any sense if you grasp how very scary true justice might look. If this has sparked any interest or questions in you, then I would recommend you look a bit further into what the Gospels then say about salvation. But thank you for listening.